0: The preceding message is brought to you by Word Everywhere Nigeria. Everything that you do is good and perfect. You never do anything that you have not completed. And because of that, we know that our lives is a complete life in you precious Holy Spirit, teach us. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. Let us understand beyond the words that has been spoken. Let us see you for who you are and let our experience change. In Jesus' precious name, glory to God. Please have your seat. Hallelujah. Welcome to church. How was your week? How was your week? Awesome. Okay. We've laid several foundations. If you want to understand where we started from, you can always check, the, um, check us out on SoundCloud and then you can listen to the message if you get to SoundCloud, just type Kingsword Podakot. It'll come up. Or you go to our website, kingsword.org slash Podakot. And then you check SoundCloud there and you see the messages. Hallelujah. Turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Very quickly. From verse 8. It said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and board, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Then it says in verse 12, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of thorns shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name and, and an everlasting sign. That shall not be cut off. Glory to God. I wrote down in my note. I said it is of necessity that the created entity be a reflection of the Creator. We've been talking about disadvantage, and with, I'm trying to round that up on the on the bottom line that um, Christ in you becomes um, the basis for every step you take in life. That the Christ that is in you becomes your critical success advantage, regardless of where you are, your background, what you've been through, and anything that has happened to you before. So it's of necessity that the created entity is a reflection of the creator. It is of necessity that God who created you, you are a reflection of him. It is of necessity that the one who designed this microphone Designed the microphone based on what he is seen inside. So the design of this microphone came out of somebody's mind, somebody's thinking, somebody's intellect, somebody's own visioning inside. There are different kinds of microphones. Someone did this type, someone did another type. So they have so it's all about the visioning. So when God envisioned you and I, And then we came to being. We are a reflection of his inner experience. What he saw inside reflected you and I. What he saw inside made you and I to come forth. So it is of necessity that you and I are a reflection of divinity and our creator. And I I gave a perfect example and I laid a perfect foundation on that. That that reflection has nothing to do with you being born again. It has everything to do with you coming into the world. So the reflection that you and I enjoy, first of all, is that we are born into the world. So every human being has a dimension of God. Every human being born of of a man, every human being born into this world have a dimension of God. Why? Because you cannot exist outside that installation of that dimension. A part of the one that created you exists in you whether you're saved or not. A part of God exists in you. A part of God exists in you because if, if we are to say that God is not in any human being, it means that, it's not in every human being I mean, it means that the moment you come into the world and you don't have God, you should die. As you're coming in, you should just die. Why? Because what sustains you is God. It's not what sustains a believer, it's what sustains every human being is God. So there's a dimension of God in every human being. That dimension of God is what allows you to think. It what allows you to be creative. It's what allows you to be imaginative. It's what allows you to envision and see things. Because, think of it this way. Certain people came together and they said, okay, um, we are here now. This is where we found ourselves. Let us begin to think and imagine. So what they did was they began to build a tower, and said they will go up to heaven. Question, first of all, could it have been possible for them to get up to heaven? With the kind of technology and science that you and I know now, would it have been possible? No. What's the highest place on earth? Everest. Has Everest gotten to heaven? So if somebody thought that maybe God was scared they would get to heaven, God wasn't scared. God only saved them of their ignorance and their foolishness because they would have died. By the time they get there, there was no technology that would give them oxygen. You, if you get to Everest now, you can't go to the peak of Everest and not have oxygen. You'll die before you get there. So which tower were they trying to build that would even get to heaven? It was just their foolishness and God just saved them and said, "This let me just save you from your foolishness and then scatter their language. Okay, so But at that point, they, they could imagine, they could think. They had a dimension of God. They, have a, they had a part of God in them that allowed them to be, to be creative in their thinking. So they said, oh, let's build a tower. That tower will get to heaven. We'll reach the sky. We'll, we'll do this and do that and do, and do all sorts. And then some people felt probably they would have done it. Well, I don't know how that would have been possible, really. I do not know. But the bottom line is they had a dimension of God. None of them were saved. None of them were born again. Jesus had not come. Jesus had not died. God was in them. So that part is your ability to imagine, to think, to create, to collaborate, to invent, innovate, dominate, and to recreate. It's not exclusive to believers. It's not exclusive to being born again. When you are born again, you now have an advantage. You now have a plus. You have an edge. You have something that you can use that other people cannot use. Not like they don't have what to use, but you have something else that can give you a better result. That's what it means by being born again. It means you have an added advantage. You have an edge over others. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah, it says, call not a confederacy where they call a confederacy. Fear not what they fear. You are not in that class. You are not in that category. You are in a different kind of of life right now. Jesus said, the life that I've come to give you is so that you will have abundance. So he's he's come to give us a different kind of life, different from what they have. So it's not like they're not going to get results. They will get the results. But they will get a different kind of result. And God is saying to us that now that you are in Christ, you're supposed to have a different kind of result. You're supposed to have a different kind of experience. All right? So it's that kind of experience that we want to embrace, want to look at, and want to um, trust God for, for it to find expression. Hallelujah. So your expression will, will only be limited and not fully maximized outside Christ. Anything outside Jesus Christ will give you limited expression. Not that you will not have expression. You will have expression. But it will be limited. How limited? I don't know. But how unlimited is the expression in Christ? It's absolutely unlimited. Jesus says things like abundant life. He says things like life overflowing. Life to the full. That's, that's the limit he puts to it. Because there's no end to it. Okay, But outside Christ, there are limitations. All right, so when that happens to you and I, we become the hope of the world, we become the hope of the system, we become the one that the, the system looks up to. How in our jobs, our offices, our home, where we live, how we live with people, how we interact with people, we become the ones that they look up to, we become the, we become the ones that they go to for solutions, for answers. When they have questions, we become the one that they come to with the questions because they know we carry something. It's not like the people of the world cannot solve some of these problems. Yes, they can. But they are limited. We now become the hope of the world. We become the hope of the system. Praise God. So you see someone who who is a doctor or who is a scientist or who is a lawyer or who is an inventor can invent things Now, when you now become born again, you come to a place where you also can invent, you also can innovate, can create, can think, but the kind of experiences you have will now be different. The kind of results you have will now be different. The kind of life you live will now be different. Such that the people of the world will come to you to want to know your source. Glory to God! And I shared to us in Isaiah where where the Bible was saying that in the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be exalted above what all other mountains. Guess what? They also have mountains. They also have ideas. They also think. They imagine. They create. They innovate. But the mountain of the house of the Lord will now be exalted above all of the mountains then people will come to... And what did the Bible say? say, show us your God. That's the kind of experience. So, not like we are going to be spooky or we are just going to be overly spiritual. No. We are going to stay in our place and by staying in our place, we begin to have some other kind of experience that people are questioning our experience So that they can validate their own experience. They also have experiences. But their own, compared to ours, is different. Call not a confederacy what they call a confederacy. Do not fear what they fear. Because you've been called to another kind of life. So the earlier we begin to live up to heaven's expectation of us, the better. Because, trust me, a time is coming... When the solution to the world will be the people that know Christ, the people that know God. The UN cannot unite the world. They cannot. There is no peace outside Christ. Any peace that is given is temporary. I was sharing earlier with the um, in in the morning that how that US is by my own calculation by my own understanding US is the most unsafe place in the world they won't tell us that but they will tell us if there's a fight in Meduguri CNN will tell you Nigeria under attack it did not reach Lagos, it did not reach Potakot it did not reach Abuja it did not reach anywhere, it's only in one town in Meduguri but CNN will tell us Nigeria under attack but every day, they are bombing one place in the US Somebody sending bomb parcel, somebody stabbing somebody, somebody shooting somebody—not just in one place, different cities, all over the place, every day. They didn't tell us that one. Why? Their own perspective, their own way of seeing things, their own way of viewing things. So they project that to us, and then we buy into that and take it as, a, take it as an experience. But you and I have come to a place in God where. The kind of experiences that we have, the kind of relationships that we have in God should be such that we are the hope of the world. We are the ones that should give hope to the world. We are the ones, people should come to us and when they come, they shouldn't feel just how spiritual we are. They should feel how innovative we are. They should feel how, how awesome our, our thinking is. They they shouldn't feel our pettiness or just our spirituality and say to us alone, oh, that person can pray. No, no, no. They should feel our resourcefulness. They should feel that when they come to us and they interact with us and engage with us, there's such an awesome presence and power that surrounds us that one, it questions their curiosity and then it puts them in a place where they can find solution and they can find answers. That's where God has called you and I to live. And that's where I want to zero on in today's service. I want to bring it all in proper perspective that that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of the world. It's not you in Christ. It is Christ in you. It is who Christ wants to find and is who Christ wants to be through you. That is the hope of glory. And that's where you and I should center our life on. Hallelujah. We are the hope of the world. We are the hope of the system. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Glory to God. I read from verse 31. Are you there? Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Are you with me? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. If I there and just tell you that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I've not done justice to that scripture. I've not done done justice to that word. Because the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed is not all Jesus was trying to say there. What Jesus was saying is that the kingdom of heaven listen and, and, and catch this very carefully. The kingdom of heaven The expectation of God, the expectation of the whole of heaven concerning you and I is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the ground and sowed in the field. So the kingdom of heaven is not a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is not a mustard seed. It is like a mustard seed that a man took So you take the entire statement and put it together, you get a perspective of what the kingdom of heaven is. So when we say the kingdom of heaven, when you hear and they say the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, all you just need is a mustard seed, and people go about looking for a mustard seed, that's not what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was trying to say that the expectation of heaven concerning you It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed into his field. And guess what happened? He said, it is the least of the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Meaning that the expectation of heaven concerning you is such that when God shows up in you and you begin to live your life, you live your life for other people and you create an, an environment that other people can benefit. Birds can come and nest on it. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is the expectation of heaven concerning you and I for being born again. That is the justification of our being born again. So anybody that tells you I'm saved, I'm born again. And your life does not have an experience for other people to nest on it. There's a question there. Jesus is questioning it. And Jesus is saying that you don't need to have the world. You need a mustard seed. As small as it is, there is nobody that is insignificant in the kingdom of God. Every one of us have a dimension of God. That dimension of God should cause you to build a nest and birds will come and nest on it. It means that the kingdom of heaven and God's expectation concerning you is beyond you. Is beyond you. It's not just for you. You don't exist for yourself. You exist for the world. You exist for other people. So when you begin to take that expectation of heaven concerning you and begin to live like that, Christ now finds a ground to walk through you. So Christ in you now becomes the hope of the world. Are you understanding me? So Christ in you becomes the advantage In that state, you know that when people come to you, there is a nest for them. God now finds it easy to use you. God now finds it easy to demonstrate his life through you. Christ in you now becomes the hope of the world. Your life now has meaning. You know why I say sometimes, growing up, I used to believe something. I believe that I can't die. Not that I believe it in a way of confession and confess it and possess it. I just believe that it's impossible. I used to tell people then that I doubt it if I will ever die before Jesus comes. I'll tell you why I say that. It's not like I, I'm, I'm trying to put faith or something. No. Something happened to me that made me realize that. I found out that when I go in God's presence and I'm praying and I'm fellowshipping with God, there is so much power and so much presence of God. That death to me becomes un- unthinkable. Unthinkable. Many times I've been somewhere, maybe I'm, I'm on the road or something, and the devil just brings the thought: ah, what if you just the car just turns and fly into the into the ocean now or the river, or I'm on a bridge or something? Why I just say I just said not today. Seriously, I just say not today. Each time it comes, I just say not today. So okay, I'm just going. Ah, you're walking this lead. What if Amrobas just come now? Just shoot you. I say, well, not today. Because it's unthinkable for me. Sometimes I could think about it, but anytime I get in God's presence, anytime I'm in that anointing, under that atmosphere, some things just become impossible. So I have discovered that Christ in me becomes the hope of glory. So Christ wants to live through me and find expression through me, beyond me, not for me alone. Let's go back and read it. Not for me alone. Your Christianity has to make sense. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown... It is greater than the herbs and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. That's the expectation of heaven concerning you. That's the expectation of God concerning you. That's the desire of heaven concerning you. It will start small, but it will grow. It will start small, but it will grow. And when it grows, it becomes, it becomes a tree. It becomes a tree. So let me, let me submit to you here that anywhere you start in life, know and believe that the end result in God's eye is that it will become a tree. If you start a project, if you start a business, if you start an idea, if we start a church like we've started... The end product is that it will become a tree. And that when people come to that idea, when people come to that business, when people come to that um, um, job, when people come to that thing that you have, that Christ has given to you, they will find solace, they will find peace, they will find comfort. That's the idea of heaven. Anything other than that, you are being limited in your expression. Anything other than that, Christ is not finding full expression in you. Glory to God. Do we understand that? That's why we preach. That's why we say the things that we say. Because there is no point. Like I was telling them earlier, there's no point doing church. We're not here to just do church. We're not here to just count and be part of the number. No. We are here... To to impact lives. The reason I'm doing this is such that I'm, I'm standing between you, where you are now, and where you will be tomorrow. Pointing you in that path. Pointing you in that direction. Knowing that all there is to your life is not all that you're seeing right now. Knowing that all that Christ has put inside of you is not all the experiences you're having right now. Knowing that there is more to you than what you see. Knowing that all that you are in Christ Jesus is more than all that you are experiencing right now. And then positioning you such that when tomorrow comes, you will be living in the fullness of that life. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So that you will become a tree for some other birds to come and nest on it. So that you will become a tree. So that your experiences will go beyond your own immediate environment. So that your life will not be about you alone. God, bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Bless my business. Bless my family. Bless my friends. Bless all those around me. And that's it. Everything is just tied to you. But when last have you gone in the presence of God and said, God, what's your plan for the area that I'm in? You put me there for a reason. You put me in that office for a reason. How am I supposed to allow Christ come out of me and be a blessing to all those around me? How? The ideas, the gifts, the grace, the expression?" Everything that God puts inside of you is so that you will have expression and that expression will be a blessing to others. It's not just limited to you alone. Glory to God. It's such that other people can find their place in God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Do we understand that? Okay. All right, so I'll just talk briefly on the factors that limit how you maximize your advantage. There are certain things that limits you, limits us in finding expressions that limit us when we want to maximize this life, when we want to have the best of this life, when we want to find expressions, okay? There are certain things that limit us. Now, God's plan is for you to leave the realm of the consciousness of sin, imperfection in yourself. God's plan um, is for you to leave that realm of the consciousness of sin the consciousness of sin i was i was asking them earlier today that how do you how do you preach to a to someone who is deaf and dumb can anybody give me an answer to that <laughs> how do you preach to someone who is deaf and dumb how do you how does the person respond to salvation how does the person respond if we say that salvation for you to get saved, you have to confess um, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and say, "God, forgive me all my sins." So here is this person now, the person is um the person is deaf and dumb, and he has come to give his life to christ so and if you say now that he has to confess and say Jesus, forgive me my... And he can't talk. So, does it mean that he's doomed? Does it mean that the person is going to go to hell? So then he begs the question, how then do people get saved? How then do people... What is true salvation? What is true repentance? What is true coming to know Christ? Glory to God. So there are certain things that limit um, us taking advantage in Christ Jesus. The first one is the consciousness of sin. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. I'm reading from verse 1. Can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Note that word. Make those who approach perfect. For then Will they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Note that word again, consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Let me stop there. We're going to read further, but let me stop there and explain. Now the writer of Hebrew, which we, 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 uh, we think we think that is Paul, it says, "The law has a shadow of the things to come." It says, "Not the very image of the things, not the very image, but a shadow. And that shadow can never be perfect." That's what he's saying can never make those who come perfect. It means that the end goal from the beginning, even before the shadow came, is so that the people will be what? Perfect. Because if he's saying that the law cannot make those who approach by offering those sacrifices, cannot make them perfect, why is he trying to make them perfect? If that's not the end goal. So he now said that the law could not do that question. So why then did the law come if it could not do that? It means, the Bible tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to do what? To bring us to, to Christ. So at that time the law stood between us and Christ to bring us to Christ. So the law was not designed to make us perfect. It's designed was to take us, hold us by the hand, and bring us to Christ. So if the law was not there, and we are here, and Christ is here, God would have looked for another narrative to put in between, to bring us to Christ. So if you and I now sit down with what the law has brought, and said because it was there, it was important. Yes, it's important, but its job was to drag us and bring us to Christ. Why? Because what we experienced at that time, where we were at that time, if Christ showed up, which he did, I will explain to us, we will not understand him. We cannot identify with him. So the Law came, stood between us and the fullness of Christ and gradually began to unfold Christ to us. So that after the law, several years, and then Christ showed up in the flesh, we can now identify him. That's what the Bible says in John. It said, Jesus came in the flesh. It says, behold the lamp of God that has come. So he came into the flesh, and then we, the Bible says, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. So the law stood between us and Christ. Stood between who who, who, who who we are and who we ought to be. Which is Christ. And then brought us to Christ. So everything that the Lord did was to bring us to perfection. Means that what God wanted for us from the beginning was what? Perfection. Perfection. I'll explain to you in Genesis. Now listen. When... Adam, when God created Adam, he was perfect. The sin was what brought imperfection. Adam was spiritual. Adam was in relationship with God at the time. So sin fell. And then what happened? We began to do everything to try to attain to spirituality. But in the first place, you and I were, were not designed to obtain spirituality. Let me explain that to you. Now, it's not every time that you're going about everything that you do, that you just, you're going about the, your work or your business or your house and you're like this... <sighs> You're feeling the presence of God and you can't hold it. And they're talking to you. And anybody that, anybody that you meet on the way and they greet you, you say, ah, good morning, sister. I say, Rebo Shanta. And you're going. And they say, ah, good evening, brother. You're always in the spirit. Is that how you live your life? <laughs> no. That's not how you live your life. Why? Because we are, we've looked at spirituality and the supernatural as something that we attain. So we we struggle and labor to attain that state. But in the beginning, it was not so, right? Because the man created Adam was a spiritual man. In the beginning, it was not so. The same thing with the law. In the beginning, the law came. Now, the law was designed, like I told us, to bring us to Christ. Meaning that Christ, if we remove the law and take Christ... And put it in the beginning, it means that the way we are designed is how we are. I don't know if you get that. The way we are designed is how we are. If the law was not there, and we take Christ, and put Christ at the beginning, it means the way we are designed is how we are. So if you remove the law, take Christ, put Christ there, then Christ and us, at that moment, undiable, untouchable, Nothing can happen to you. That is the perfect state the scripture was talking about. It said to bring us to perfection. So now that Christ has showed up, the scriptures are telling us that you and I have attained a perfect state in Christ. Through Christ, we've attained a perfect state. Why? Such that we will no longer have the consciousness of sin. We will no longer have the, the consciousness of sin is is such that this, you know, let's, let's, let's read for that. Don't worry. Let's read for that. Hebrews 10. From verse 5. It says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, bond offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. Meaning, look at it. He's saying he did not desire it. But they were offering it. Did he not accept it? He accepted it. But he did not desire it. Meaning that his initial thought and plan was Christ. That was his initial thought. That was his plan from the onset. So every experience you are having outside Christ is null and void. It means that you are not complete until Christ is involved. It means that every glory and experience of your life, Christ has to be the center of it. Christ has to be your critical success advantage. It was not an afterthought. It was the initial plan of God. So for us to now say that I can live on earth without Christ, I can do my things without Christ, what we're doing, two things. We are rubbishing what Christ has done. We are rejecting the King of glory and His sacrifice. And we are saying that what Christ has done is not sufficient enough to bring us to the state of perfection, then what are we doing? We're going back to the Lord. You see, as we read further, he said he did not desire it. They offered it, yes, they brought it up, they they did all sorts, they offered it, but he did not desire it. He says, why? Previously saying, verse 8, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, no, had pleasure in them. Which were offered according to the law. Then he said. Behold I have come to do your will O God. He takes away the first. That he may establish the second. By that will. We have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body. Of Jesus Christ. Once and for all. Once and for all. Through all eternity. Once and for all. He did it once. He will never do it again. He did it once, once and for all. He said, But the Holy Spirit, okay, now let's read verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He said, But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. He said, From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering, He has perfected, glory to God, hallelujah. He has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. So in Christ Jesus, your perfection is complete. You can't try to live up to perfection by yourself. You will fail many times. Many, many times you will fail. What God is after is not that. Like I was telling us some weeks back, That the reason people go to hell is not because of sin. Sin is not the thing that takes people to hell because Jesus has died once and for all and he has covered the entire world with his blood. So God looks down and doesn't see anybody sinning. He doesn't see any sin. What takes people to hell is that they have not received what Jesus has done. Because if if you say that that's untrue, let me explain. Now somebody comes today. He commits an act of sin. And then he goes to God and says, God, I did this thing, forgive me. Is it that moment that God forgave him? When did God forgive him? Before? Okay. No, no, no. Maybe that's not correct. Maybe. Let's try again. Okay. Somebody's born into the world. He was born into the world, came into the world as a newborn baby. And then he grows up and becomes born again. And then He accepts Jesus into his life. And somebody tells him that your sins are forgiven. The question we ask the person, when were they forgiven? Was it when he became born again? Or when he was born into the world? It was even before he was born into the world. So the question is, what then is the problem with the world? The problem with the world is that you and I, because we, we, we like justice, we like to have justice. We like to have, um, ah, no, revenge. We like to have justice. So we would rather see people punished for their sin than just leave them alone. Christ is the one that died. It's not you and I that died. He's the one that died. It's not you and I that died. So if God says their sins, the guy who, who, who is probably killing, Evans, Evans, God has forgiven him before he even kidnapped anybody. God has forgiven him before he kidnapped anybody, don't feel bad. (laughs) I mean, don't feel bad. That is God for you. So if God has forgiven the world before anybody was even born into the world, what kind of a God is that? And he's saying that in Christ Jesus, I have perfected you such that you do not have any consciousness of sin. Do you know what a consciousness of sin is? There is no consciousness of sin in Christ Jesus. You, now, when, when we preach like this, some people think that it's a liberty for, for me to just go about and start doing all There is no consciousness of sin in Christ Jesus, but there are consequences of sin. <laughs> there is no consciousness, but there are consequences. If somebody comes here now, God forbid, just comes here now and says, ah, eh, and while we're here, just comes, just grab this keyboard and runs away. And as he's going out, Police catch him. Yes, God has forgiven him. Me and you have forgiven him, but he will still go to jail. That's a consequence. That's how this earth operates. Seed time and harvest will not cease. There are consequences for sin, but there is no consciousness. So God is saying that even when sin exists, you should not live in the consciousness of it. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is so potent. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. There is no sin, present, past or future that is greater than that blood. There is no sin. So when God looks down on the earth and looks down on you and I, looks down on everybody, what he sees is the blood of Jesus covering everything. That's why some people cry out, God, are you not seeing all the trouble in the world? Are you not seeing all the bad, bad things people are doing? Ah, God is watching you and all that. God is seeing the blood of Jesus. The blood is speaking, advocating. The Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. It's not like Jesus, every time Jesus is there, kneeling down, two, four, seven, babajo, 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 babajo. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. His blood has done it once and for all. If Jesus' blood was going every time each person sins to, to, to the Father, I wonder what will happen to the blood by now. Or anytime, even the Bible puts it, it said, if we do that, we are saying that we are crucifying Christ again. If that is happening, it means that He will never come down from that cross. Because as he's coming down, he say, Ah, this person has sinned, let me go and die again. He's coming down and say, Ah They're not bring up and say, Ah, no, 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 no. They say, Ah ah, look at Pastor's wife. Oh. They say, ah, look at this. Ah. He will continually they'll say, Bros, you know, just stay there. We have plenty nail. We'll just be nailing It, it I mean. That would have been terrible. What the Bible says, He did it once and for all. Never again to do it. What the law could not do. We've been trying to attain to spirituality, attain to the supernatural, but He says, In Christ Jesus, we are the supernatural. In Christ Jesus, we are the spiritual. In Christ Jesus, we are the perfect. In Christ Jesus, we are without the consciousness of sin. So when you do. Make that your everyday experience. You are not limited in your expression. You are not limited in the things that happen to you every day in your life. I cannot remember the last time I maybe went to the hospital to... I don't know. I have stopped thinking about it because to me it's not an option. I stopped thinking about it. If I go... I remember one time my wife, my my son, when we were uh, still in Lagos, my son had... um, what was it? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember the stuff. So we had to take him to the hospital. And then my wife was like, "Oh, he has to go to the hospital." I don't know why women are like that. Mrs. B, why are you like that? <laughs> you know, um, I has to go to the hospital. Ah, my wife is like that. Ah, hospital, hospital, hospital. I say, okay. So satisfied, I said, let's go to the hospital. So we got to the hospital, and then they ran the test, everything, everything, everything. Imagine the doctor. Let me tell you, science doesn't really know much, I'm telling you. Imagine the doctor. You ran test for the boy. I think it was maybe two or there about then. And he said, nothing. You ran the test. Test came out, nothing. But you now said to me, he said, but the fact that there's nothing doesn't mean that it's not there. I said, doctor, it's enough. It has due. I have heard. After running the test, you saw nothing. You're not coming to tell me that. The fact that they ran the test and then there's nothing does not mean that the thing is not... I said, okay, no problem. I said, are you done? I turned to my wife. I said, are you okay now? You've attended the hospital. You are fine. He went back home. I went into my study. I was praying. I was listening to uh, my father in the Lord, Dr. K. I was listening to um, his prayer. He does every day in my study. And my son just walked in. He just walked in to the study where I was... and And Dr. K was praying. And as he was praying, God just told me, he's healed. I looked at him. I just smiled. My wife came back. I said, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him again. That is attaining to spirituality, attaining to the supernatural. But what God wants for us is that that's where we live. That's our house address. That's where we live and we're not living there to appear spooky to people no we're living there to demonstrate christ we're living there to demonstrate christ praise god that's that's the that's our christ so we're living there to have that ex that, that experience once and for all just the same way christ died once and for all so he's bringing us into that place once and for all we stay there we stay there we stay there that's where we are we stay there we have experiences there we stay there when we get to our workplace that's where we are when we're at home that's where we are we're never in or out we're there continually everything we do we're there continually every experience we have we have the experiences in Christ and we take no for an answer we're not limited to carnal experiences we want the supernatural to have effect all the time because in the beginning that was the plan. That was the plan. It's not an afterthought. That was the plan. That was the plan. That was the plan. Hallelujah. One more and then we're good. So the things that God wants to do are being endangered by the experiences he has left behind. There are certain things that God wants to do um, that is affecting that the experiences of the past is affecting the things that God wants to do. Turn to Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 from verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him When he saw that the city was given over to idols, therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. When, When the Bible says that Paul reasoned with them, it's not like he sat down there and was listening to them. He was debating with them. He was debating with them, with the scholars, with the scribes, was debating with them, asking questions. They were asking and he would would question this and ask this. He was reasoning with them. And then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this blabber want to say? They've already named him a blabber. Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagos, Areopagos, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. To the unknown God. It says, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing. Him I proclaim to you. There was something God wanted to do. But it was being hindered by the past experience. It was being hindered by what they knew before. It was being hindered by the law. It was being hindered by the past. God wants to bring you to perfection. God wants to bring you to Christ. God wants to bring you to new experiences in Christ. But it's being hindered by the things that have happened before. That even probably God himself did. It's been hindered by those things. So I was... I, I, I was studying one day and then I realized that, you know, that there's nothing called an idol. Really, there's nothing called an idol. When people say they're worshiping idols, they don't really understand what's going on there. There's nothing called an idol. Think about it. What's an idol? What's an idol? What's an idol? An idol in the eyes of God is nothing because compared to God, an idol has no place. What people call idol is the thing that they don't understand God by but they need to have some understanding of spirituality so they use that thing to understand God but God is saying that I have left that realm how do I know that God has left the realm because God was the one that told them in the first place make an ark. if you make an ark, if you make an ark of the covenant now and all that and put it in your room what would they call it idol so they took it from an idea of God So if they can make an ark of the covenant and they can get a staff of of, of Aaron and those things were precious things. So they thought to themselves, they can also make a calf of gold and put it in their house. So God said, I've left that realm. I'm in another realm. I'm in another experience right now. So the things that I have done before, is hindering you from the things I want to do. The experiences you've had before is hindering you from the new experience I want to have. I want you to have now. That's the justification of the Old Testament. Glory to God. And lastly, when you go to Genesis chapter fifteen, verse eight, you will see where God told Abraham, Abraham, not Abraham now, Abraham, He said, "You should get a turtle dove, a hypha. Let's go there." Genesis chapter 15 it was something that God did it was an experience at the time like I was I'm trying to get us to understand it's supposed to bring us to Christ it's supposed to bring us to Christ alright so the fact that we did it then does not mean that that should be our experience right now verse 8 it says and he said Lord God how shall I know that I will inherit it, this is God now telling Abraham, he said, so he said to him, bring me a three year old heifer, a three year old female goat a three year old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, tell me what is that, is that not babalawu? if you do it now if you do it now what will happen to you see you are conjuring demons but this was God is it not God that, I might want to put it there. Read it in your scripture. God told him. He said, if somebody comes, you know, I say, and he um, comes to me and say, ah, pastor, I want you to pray with me about this um, contract. I'm going for this contract and all that. And he said, and I said don't worry, God will give it to you. And you now say, ah, pastor, how do I know that God will give it to me? That's what Abraham was asking. He said, you will inherit it. He said, how do I know that I will inherit it? God said, God said, I'm just using that explanation. I says, go and bring me a female goat. Go and bring me. That's what God told him. Come and bring me a female goat. Bring me a female this. Bring me a three-year-old turtle dove and all that. And he brought everything. And if you read through scriptures, you find that the way God was telling them to do those sacrifices, that you think that God is a Jasmine. man. Say, cut the head. When you cut the head, he said, don't cut the head with knife. You cut it off with your hand like this, and then do it round like this over the... That's where they got all these things from. It's in the Bible, though. I'm serious. (laughs) They're all looking at me. It's in the scriptures. That's what God told them to do. He said, take the blood, sprinkle it like this, sprinkle it seven times here, and sprinkle it on the forehead of the person, then sprinkle it on the toes and the finger. Ah! When I was reading all these things, I was like, God, you're a bad guy, oh. (laughs) I mean, that's where to do all those things. Now, now tell me. God has said now, look, I have left those things. I'm now in Christ. So don't let those things now hinder the new thing I want to do. The new experience I want you to have. So God is not angry with the babalawo. Or angry with all these people because they are doing all these things. No, he's saying that those things have left there. And when God leaves something, what happens? That's when the devil takes it over. That's why it's now darkness. That's why it's now darkness. That's why it's now darkness. Because the devil has taken it over. And the devil now tries to tell people that this is where God still is. No, God has left there. He's no longer there. He's no longer there. He's now in Christ. Everything that you now do is now in Christ. Your experiences are now in Christ. Your advantage is now in Christ. Everything you have now is now in Christ. And Christ has done the sacrifice once and for all. And then you should not do any sacrifice again. And you should no longer have any consciousness of sin. But now embrace what Christ has done. And live in the fullness of that life. Have the complete advantage in Christ Jesus. And know that Christ is the essence of everything. Christ is the essence of everything. Stand to your feet. Have you been blessed? Christ is the essence of everything. Christ is the essence of everything. Lift your hands to heaven. Talk to God. Light brings illumination. Brings understanding. Everything that you've heard today. Ask God to give you new experience. Because the reason we preach, the reason we talk like this, the reason we, we give God's word is such that you take that word and it begins to produce results. The birds of the air will come to nest on the thing that the word of God is producing for you. That's the essence. you heard God's word. That's why I told you, take action points. As the word is coming, you're writing down. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to stop doing. This is what I need to start doing right now. God help me to do this. That becomes your action point. That becomes what God used to work on you. And in you. That becomes the foundation. Not just the fact that. Oh we, we preached. We had a good word. We had a nice word. We had a, a great word today. No. But that that word should produce Results And not just results, but results that birds breaths of the air will come and nest on it. Will come and nest on it. That's the essence of this church. That's the essence of why you are here. So that the word of God you hear will produce results in your life that will be beyond you. So when you begin to believe God for things like that, and you begin to trust God for things like that, heaven now begins to entrust with you responsibilities that are beyond you. So talk to God this morning. Everything that you've heard, ask God for help. Ask Him to strengthen you. Ask Him to uphold you. Ask Him to lift you up. Ask Him to hold your hand. Ask Him to... The preceding message was brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere, Nigeria. Email kmiAfrica at kingsword.org